Well, good morning, church family. It is good to be here with you today. It is good to worship with you. My name is Dan Min, and I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here at State College Alliance Church, and uh, it's my absolute joy to worship with you here this morning. Uh, the Henning crew sends their greetings here this morning as well. Uh, they're recovering from their bout with COVID. Uh, they, they, they've uh, had a much better week this past week than the week prior to that. Uh, they're certainly up, up on the upswing, uh, and they appreciate your prayers for their recovery, but uh, they'll be finishing up their quarantine time and uh, will be joining us again here real soon. Uh, in the near future. But in the meantime, you're stuck with me, uh, the campus guy. So uh, as many of you know, I spend most of my time leading our campus church, uh, Alliance Christian Fellowship. And uh, uh, just want to say as a quick report for our parent church here, because I realize you guys probably don't know a whole lot that happens on, on the other side. Uh, I need to say, friends, God has been faithful. God has been good this last season. Uh, when August came around, um, we weren't sure what to expect. Campus was opening back up and things were kind of moving back into motion, but uh, we weren't really sure what to expect. But uh, I just want to say God has been so good to us and uh, he continues to show his faithfulness and God's been doing a, a remarkable work on campus, in and through ACF and beyond. And so we're, we're so grateful for that. And so as our parent church, if I could just ask you, um, man, we need your prayer support. We, we, we believe that uh, nothing of meaningful kingdom value happens apart from prayer. And so if, uh, if you have a heart to see God's kingdom advance on the campus of Penn State, uh, we'd love for you to partner with us in prayer. Just, just when you think about us, pray for us, all right? Just, just, just offer up a, a quick word of prayer. Pray for God's blessing on, on, uh, on the ministry that's happening on campus. We'd really appreciate that. And if God puts it on your heart to financially support us, throw some cash away, we're not gonna turn that down either, okay? Just, just letting you know. Uh, but really, we need your prayer support more than anything. We, we, uh, we wanna ride the spirit of God's presence all throughout into next semester, and so we'd appreciate that. Today, I have the joy of opening up God's word before you and bringing God's word to you, but especially kicking off this Advent season with a brand new series that we're calling Child of the Promise. Child of the Promise. Now, we all know that this season that we're entering into, the Advent season, Thanksgiving is behind us, turkey and stuffing is behind us, and, and now we are moving into the Christmas season. We know that this season is all about a child who has come. Now, whether you grew up in a Christian home or a secular home, whether you grew up with Santa or not, or a real tree or a fake tree or no tree, uh, you may have heard at one point or another, I'm sure of this, that this season is connected to a particular birth of a child. Now, I don't know about you parents out there, but, but I can still remember the days that my children were born. My two boys were born at Northern Westchester Hospital in Mount Kisco, New York. Uh, my older son, Jake, he was born on July 31st, 2009 at 12.39 a.m., weighing in at 8 pounds and 12 ounces. And Luke, my second son, was born on December 3rd. 2011 at 12.09 p.m., weighing in at an even nine pounds. 
Yes, we men's make big babies. That's what we do. That's, that's just kind of the card we've been dealt. But listen, now I, I can say a lot about those two particular days, those two very special days. Those two days changed the course of my life and my wife's life forever. Our lives will never be the same because of those two days. Now, there are a lot of things I can say about those two very special days to me, but there are things that I cannot say about those days. For instance, I cannot say that all of creation was groaning and awaiting the birth of my two boys. I think they're great, but I just don't think all of creation was groaning and awaiting the birth of my kids. I also can't say uh, that there were angelic appearances in the maternity ward at Northern Westchester Hospital in Mount Kisco, New York. And as totally epic and Instagram worthy that may have been, I cannot say that that was the case. There were no angelic appearances that day. I also can't say that the birth of my children was documented in a global worldwide book that has been read by millions and millions and millions of people all over the world, which has lasted for the ages. I can't say that. The closest thing we have to that is two little shutterfly books that sit in our basement that document the birth of our two boys with pictures and, uh, and wonderful. It's, it's great. It's great. $14.99. You can get one yourself, right? Not our book, but your own book. Now, friends, did you know that there has never been, nor will there ever be, the birth of a child quite like the one we're remembering and celebrating this season? the birth of our King Jesus. In fact, did you know that there are over 300 promises documented in scripture that's associated with the birth of this child? Over 300 prophecies. Over 300 prophecies that were uttered, which by the way, all of which were fulfilled and brought to completion by Christ. There are over 300 promises attached to the birth of the child that we're remembering in this season. I will say it again. There is no birth quite like the birth of our King Jesus, which is why we're calling this Advent series, The Child of the Promise. The Child of the Promise. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be unpacking and exploring some of, some of these promises and, and more importantly, the fulfillment of these promises. Now, promises aren't so special until they come to pass. And, and you'll see that these promises actually came into fulfillment. And furthermore, we want to, we want to explore how, we, how these promises impact your life and my life here today. Now, we're not going to unpack all 300 of them, obviously, but... There are a handful of promises that we want to draw our attention to during this Advent season. And the first one we're going to look at today at the kickoff of this Advent Sunday is this, and it's very simply this, a light has dawned, a light has dawned. And this particular promise shows up in the gospel account of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. And as you're finding your place in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, I want to give you a little bit of context here. We find ourselves here in the gospel account of Matthew, where Jesus has just come out of the desert. What was he doing in the desert? He was fasting and praying for 40 days, and in that time, he was being tempted by the devil during that time. 
And after coming out of the desert the, uh, uh, moment, he begins his earthly ministry. And as he does so, the gospel writer Matthew refers to an Old Testament prophecy all the way back found in Isaiah, which we're going to look at here in just a moment as well. That passage in Isaiah, the prophecy in Isaiah, you begin to see that it begins to become fulfilled and comes to fulfillment here in Matthew chapter 4. And so I'd love for you to look with me at Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 12, and we'll carry it through to verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord, this is what it says. Now when he, he being Jesus, when he heard that John had been arrested, this is referring to John the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the, tor- in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. There's that promise. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this passage, if you're familiar with this passage, this passage is is referencing and pointing back to a prophecy that was uttered, as I mentioned, back in Isaiah chapter 9. You don't need to turn there. We'll put it up on the screen for you here. But I want you to see what Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 say. It says this, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, this all sounds familiar, right? We just read this, Matthew 4. And here it is, verse 2. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The child of promise brings with him the promise that a light has dawned. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but but when I think about this concept of a light dawning, especially during this time of the year, I think it's natural for many of us to go to sort of the classic nativity scenes, right? A light has dawned. What do we think about? Well, in the cold, dark, bleak, midwinter, a star appears in the night, right? A star, a star of heaven, and it, and it shines upon the manger, pierces through the darkness, and it's shining upon the manger where there lies baby Jesus, where Christ Jesus is born. And we think, aha, that's what this promise means. That's what this promise is talking about. A light dawning is referring to this beautiful, picturesque scenery of the star of heaven shining down and piercing through the darkness and shining down on the birthday of our Lord Jesus. Now, I don't mean to go full-on Grinch on you and pop your holiday bubble, but that is not what the promise is talking about. That is not what this promise is referencing. In fact, if you look at this passage, there's no reference to a star in the night that's shining in the night when it speaks of a light dawning. And there's no, there's no reference to a, a baby in a manger in Matthew 4 or in Isaiah 9. That's not what this passage is referencing. And so the question is, what in the world is this promise talking about? And furthermore, why is this promise so significant? And, and, and maybe even furthermore than that, how and why is this promise significant for us today? 
sitting here, worshiping together on this day at State College Alliance Church, the people of God here that's gathered, why is this promise important for us here today? Well, I'd like to offer up three quick suggestions, three particular thoughts that we need to get our heads wrapped around if we want to understand the gravity and the weight of this promise. And the first thing is this, we must know when we're in the dark. To truly understand this promise, friends, you need to know when you're in the dark. Now, this might sound like an odd point, but let me try to explain this. In this passage, you'll notice that Matthew, the gospel writer Matthew, takes us on a bit of a journey. Okay, he, he, he points to several uh, pins on the map, if you would, in Google Maps, and he points out a few geographic locations during the time of Christ here. He mentions a place called Nazareth, a place called Capernaum, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee. Now, these places might not mean a whole lot to you. Uh, the, to the average Bible reader, you might read this and say, oh, yeah. Those are biblical places in biblical times. There's not, you know, but, but what you need to know is Matthew is describing an entire region here. And this region was described by some as a place of darkness, or as verse 16 put it, a shadow of death. Now, we don't really know what that's like because we live here in Happy Valley, right? Like, imagine, imagine living in a place where people, they, they knew that place as the shadow of death. No, you don't want to go there. It's a shadow of death. It's, it's, not, it's not so happy valley anymore. This is, this is a place, in fact, people understood this place as the, the people, the residents of that region as a people dwelling in deep darkness, darkness dwellers. How would, how would you like to be referenced as that? You know, these people from this place, they're, they're darkness dwellers. Now, just to be clear, this wasn't a literal dark place. It's not like the sun didn't shine here. There, this, this darkness that is referenced here in Matthew and Isaiah was a spiritual kind of darkness. In fact, when the Bible describes the darkness of a people, it's usually describing a people who are separated from God, a people who are not walking with Christ. A people who are not walking in the ways of God's kingdom. It is talking about a spiritual kind of darkness. And that's why this promise doesn't have so much to do with a literal light shining into a literal darkness. This passage is talking about a spiritual kind of darkness. And this place that Matthew is describing was understood to be a place of spiritual darkness. But you want to know the crazy thing? There wasn't any overt dark practices going on in this region. There wasn't any witchcraft that was prevalent. There weren't satanic worshipers, you know, worshiping Satan in street corners in the public squares. In fact, on the surface, Galilee was anything but a dark place. In fact, when you, when you went to Galilee, you would think, this place is beautiful. I wonder what the real estate market here is like. Man, I, I'm not sure I could afford a place like this, but I would love to live in a place like this. It's beautiful. It's got rolling hills, the landscape, the valleys. It is a gorgeous place. In fact, it, this, this place appeared to have all the elements of a thriving culture. It had theaters and stadiums that highlighted their cultural greats and their icons of their time. Their land was rich and fertile for agriculture 
agricultural benefits, which was huge for that time. They had rivers that ran through the region that connected to the Mediterranean Sea, which then created trade routes, which then fed the economic gain that was tremendous for this region. You see, on the surface, this region was anything but a place of darkness. And yet Jesus chooses to bring the light of heaven to Galilee. Because listen now, sometimes you just don't know that you're in the dark until the light comes shining through. Can I say that again? Sometimes you just don't know that you're in the dark until the light comes shining through. How many of you have ever been in a situation where like you're in a dark space in a dark room and you're like, oh man, I can't see any, you know, everything's opaque, everything is... And then all of a sudden, your eyes become used to the dark, right? Your eyes become accustomed, and all of a sudden, you begin to make out some silhouettes of of certain things in the room and, and things of that nature, and your eyes become accustomed to the dark. Friends, sometimes you just don't know that you're in the dark unless the light comes shining through, unless you flip on the light switch, and all of a sudden, everything becomes illuminated. How did Jesus say it? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? That's what was happening with the people of this time. You can have everything and yet realize you actually have nothing. Look at these rolling hills. Look at these rivers that's running through. Look at these theaters and grand stadiums. Look, we've got it all. And yet Jesus steps into this place and says, oh, but you are living in darkness. You are living in darkness. And friends, to me, listen, I grew up being afraid of the dark. I made the terrible mistake of watching The Exorcist as a sixth grader, and it ruined my life. It ruined me. I couldn't sleep with the light on for ages and years to come, you know, like, and it took me, for me to enter into adulthood, for me to break out of the fear of the dark. But even more so for me, now as a grown adult, the thing that I fear more than the dark is being in the dark and not knowing that I'm in the dark. Anyone with me? Being in darkness, living a life that is separated from God, and yet realizing, I don't know that I'm separated from God. That, to me, is more terrifying than the dark itself. That's why it's important that you know when you're in the dark. Because you will never appreciate the dawning of the light unless you realize that you were once a people dwelling in darkness. Now, I don't say this to strike paranoia. I don't say this to say, Oh, you know, like, you know, just make sure you're, you're in the dark. Make sure you're, you're you know, you, you know when you're, no, that's not the point here. The point here is to understand the promise to a greater degree. And you can't understand the promise until you get past this first point. You got to know when you're in the dark. But it doesn't help to just know when you're in the dark. Knowledge of the dark and knowledge of your place in the dark isn't terribly helpful. You see, the beauty of this promise is that then God graciously steps into the darkness. God steps into the darkness. That is the whole message of Advent. That is the whole message of Christmas. And friends, that is the whole message of the gospel, that God steps into the darkness. Friends, the good news or the gospel of Advent is that God doesn't wait for us to work our way out of the darkness. As as Emily so beautifully led us earlier in worship, God doesn't wait for us to, to sort of find our way out of the dark. We never will. 
the, the good news of Advent is that, that God doesn't wait for us. The good news of Advent is that God actively, proactively steps into our darkness in order to pull us out of darkness and to bring us into his glorious light. If you notice in today's text, we find Jesus doing something a little bit odd. Now, it's easy to miss if you're not paying close attention. Matthew tells us that Jesus left Nazareth. You got to remember, Nazareth is Jesus' hometown, right? Jesus left his hometown to begin his ministry. Now, uh, that's not so much a big deal, right? In fact, one might make the argument that Jesus probably wants to expand his reach. He wants to expand his ministry. And so he begins, you know, he, he goes beyond the borderlines of his hometown to begin his ministry. Okay, that makes sense. But now one might assume that when Jesus left Nazareth, he was headed to Jerusalem. You know, the the most religiously renowned city of the time, the most spiritually situated city of the age, the city of David. This was supposed to be where Israel's king emerged. It's like, I don't know if Jesus missed that memo, but Jesus is like, you know, like Jesus, you're supposed to do your messianic work. The Messiah is supposed to come out of the city of David in the holy city of Jerusalem. And so one might naturally assume that when Jesus left his hometown to begin his ministry, he was headed south to Jerusalem. But would you know that Jesus doesn't go south? He goes north. He goes in the very opposite direction. He goes to Galilee, to a people dwelling in darkness. Because listen now, we have a God who doesn't move away from darkness. Rather, we have a God who steps fully into the darkest places of our lives because he knows that's where our lives need the light of Christ the most. That's where light is needed the most. If you follow Jesus' earthly ministry throughout the Gospels, you know this. You'll notice he goes to the darkest corners. He goes to the darkest places, the darkest communities, the people groups that would never be caught step footing into, step, stepping foot into a church service like ours. Jesus goes to these places. He enters into the dark places of our world time and time and time again. Why? Why? Because he knows that's where the light of heaven is needed the most. In fact, that's what the name Emmanuel implies. The name that we sang of just a few moments ago, Emmanuel, the name given to Jesus, the name that we remember during this Christmas season means God with us. And friends, do I need to remind us, he is not just with us in our good times. He is not just the God who is with us only when he's pleased with us or only when we do what he wants or only when we obey what he says. We have a God who is with us on the mountaintop when life is going well and when all is as it should be. But we also have a God who is with us in the deepest valleys low, when light is nowhere to be found, when hope seems all but a faint, distant memory, when things like confusion and worries and anxieties and stress begins to settle deep into our souls, we have a God who graciously steps into those dark places to remind us that a light has dawned indeed, that a light has come. But now you want to know the other side to this wonderful promise, the other side to this wonderful news, because, because we have a God who steps into our darkness, hear me, we can know with great confidence that the darkness will not last. 
because we have a God who steps into our darkness, we can know with great certainty that this darkness will not last. Did you know that this region of Galilee was actually known to be the place where most of Jesus' ministry occurred? Most of the miracles that Jesus performed as documented in the gospel accounts came out of this particular region. But more specifically, it came out of three particular cities, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum, all of which are in the heart of Galilee. In fact, some scholars have called this region the Evangelical Triangle, where the central operation of Christ's gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration occurred. It happened right here in the heart of Galilee. Now, let me ask you, church, how in the world, how in the world does a place that was once referred to as a place of darkness, how does a place like that become what is now known as the evangelical triangle? How does a place that was once understood to be a shadow of death, how does a place like that produce so much life? How does a place like Galilee become what is now known to us as Jesus' primary stomping grounds for his work, his ministry, and his miracles. How does that happen? Well, it's simple, really. Jesus showed up. And wherever Jesus shows up, friends, hear me, the darkness cannot last. Can I say that again? Some of us need to receive this in our own personal walks with God. More than just a principle to say, Amen. I think some of us need to hold on to this for our own personal walks with God. Wherever Jesus shows up, the darkness cannot last. You read throughout the Gospels time and time again, Jesus shows up, darkness runs. Time and time again, Jesus shows up on a scene, darkness flees. Time and time again, when Jesus shows up, we find that the darkness cannot and will not last. This is something that I continually remind our college students with. You know, working with college students, you know, the, the, those four years of a person's college years, it's, it, it's real easy to become overwhelmed on any given day from assignments and projects that are due to managing social calendars to navigating relational hurdles and hardships to trying to figure out future careers and callings and vocations and jobs. And then on top of all of that, you're trying to manage everyday stressors and anxieties of daily college living, which is a lot. And there are moments when when you you can tell it, it just becomes really overwhelming at times. And I've sat across the table from many college students, hundreds and hundreds of college students, where I've seen the burdens of life begin to pummel them to the ground so much so, so, so that they, they find themselves in a dark hole. And, and I can see it in their faces many times, oftentimes with eyes filled with tears, saying, I don't know that I can climb out of this hole. I don't know that I can make it out of this dark place. I don't know that I, don't know that I see the light at the end of the tunnel, if I'm being completely honest. Some days, it's just hard to see the light. Now, church, you know this. You don't have to be a college student to understand that we all experience some some dark days of our souls, some dark night of the soul moments. We have our own versions of darkness that overtake our lives time and time again. And there are those days when it becomes real difficult to see any hint 
of light. But friends, can I remind you of the message of Advent? Can I remind you of the message of the gospel? It's that the promise of Advent is that a light has dawned. And as long as a light has dawned, friends, the darkness cannot last. As long as a light has dawned, the darkness will not last. And friends, I, I think it might do us well just to, just to remind us of that every day of our lives. As long as the light has dawned, the darkness will not last. The darkness cannot last because a light has dawned. My faith is built on the very reality that because a light has come, no darkness can last. And no darkness can last because a light has dawned. Just run that circle over and over and over again. As people of faith, we are a people who are built on this very foundation that a light has dawned. And if a light has dawned, what darkness will last? Friends, listen. If God is able to take an entire region flooded with darkness and fill it with his light, don't you think that God can fill your life with a little bit of hope? Don't you think that God can do a whole lot in your one life? If God can take a whole region that was once understood to be the shadow of death and be able to produce such kingdom life to come out of it, don't you think that God can take our darkest of days and remind us that he is the light of the world who has come to bring the dawning of a light? I love the way Rich Velotis, pastor and best-selling author from New York City, he said it this way. The good news of Advent is not that we are faithful in our waiting, because we often aren't. It's that God is faithful in his coming. Amen. The good news of Advent is not that we are faithful in our waiting, but that God is faithful in his coming. And if God is faithful in his coming, friends, we can know with great certainty that this darkness, whatever darkness we might be facing at any moment in time, this darkness will not and cannot last. The child of the promise brings with him the promise that a light has dawned. And that will require us to, to know when we are living in darkness. In fact, oftentimes it will be because of the light that we know that we are living in darkness in the first place. This Advent season, won't you invite the light of Jesus into your life? Say, Jesus, would you shine your light into the dark corners of my life so that I can know if I am a person dwelling in darkness, so that I might know if I am walking through the shadow of death. But, but you see, we don't have to despair. If we realize that we're walking in darkness, if we realize that there are dark places in our own hearts and in our own souls, we don't have to despair, friends. I mean, we, we've, been, we, we, we've been celebrating this all morning. We've been praying into this. We've been singing about this. We have hope. And what is that hope based on? It's based on a God who steps into our darkness and promises to deliver us into his light. And in so doing, he shows us that even the darkest of our days cannot and will not last. Friends, that's the good news of Advent. That's the gospel of Advent. It's that God, in Christ Jesus, gave us the light of the world so that we who were once living in darkness, we who were once a people in darkness, 
might be known as a people who have seen, who are walking in a glorious light. May we be that people. May we be that people every single day in the coming days. Won't you pray with me? As we go to prayer, I wonder, friends, as we talk about all this darkness and as we talk about the darkness of our souls, I, I wonder if there are dark, if dark places in our, in our own hearts, in our own lives, that we need the light of Jesus to shine upon. Friends, let me ask you, where are the places of darkness in your own hearts that needs the dawning of the light. Maybe there's some darkness that you're experiencing over um, some, some relational hardships and relational disconnect. Maybe there's some, some darkness around your physical health or maybe the physical health of a loved one. Maybe some darkness wrapped up in that situation. I mean, maybe there's some darkness for you where you, you feel like, man, I'm not sure the last time I tasted the goodness of God. It, it's, it's been a while. It's been a long time since I've come to taste the goodness of, of God. Maybe, maybe for you, your darkness is a, is a spiritual darkness where you feel the separation from your loving Heavenly Father. Maybe you're going through some emotional darkness, dealing with emotional health, crippled by anxieties and fears that then begins to impact and influence and bleeds into every other area of your life. Maybe there's some darkness wrapped up around that. Friends, I, 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 don't, I don't know where the dark corners of your life might be. Maybe there's some darkness wrapped up with, with personal sin. Maybe there's some sin in your own life and in your own heart that you've been wrestling with for quite some time and, and there's, just, there's just a sense of darkness around that. Where are the dark places of your own heart that you need this promise to come through on? Where you need the light of Jesus to shine through so that you might even know that you're in the dark. You need the light of Jesus to come shining through so that you know that you're actually resentful, so that you know that you're holding on to bitterness, so that you know you're holding on to unforgiveness, so that you know you're, you're, you're crippled by frustrations and disappointments of life. Maybe you just need the light of Jesus to come shining through so that you might know that you're in the dark. Where are those places in your life? where you need the light of Jesus to say, oh God, won't you just graciously step into this darkness? Where are the places in your life where you need to be reminded that because the light has dawned, the darkness cannot last. This darkness, you fill in the blank with whatever darkness is surrounding that. Maybe today's the day that you receive the promise of heaven that a light has dawned. And if a light has truly indeed dawned, then we can know with great hope and with great confidence, ah, this darkness will not last. Jesus, 
You are the light of the world who stepped into our darkness. And you are the light of the world who continues to step into our darkness time and time again. And by your grace, we humbly ask of you here this morning, God, won't you do it again? Won't you step into our darkness here this morning? Those places that you, by your Holy Spirit, you're revealing to us. You're saying, hey, here's, here's a place where I wanna, I, want, I wanna see the dawning of my light. Here's another place where I wanna see the dawning of my light. I wanna see the dawning of my light in your family. I wanna see the dawning of my light in your walk. I wanna see the dawning of my light in your workplace. I wanna see the dawning of my light in your neighborhood. Where are those places, Lord, that, that we need the light of Jesus this Advent season? We wanna come open-handed with open hearts, with open lives, and we just wanna say, Lord, let the light of heaven come flooding in. Let the light of heaven come flooding in. Jesus, light of the world, we invite you into our lives here today. We praise you, we worship you, we look to you for all these things, and this in the strong name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, amen. Church family, let's stand to our feet. Let's close out with this final song.